Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game. With every conversation, we hope to inspire as many as possible to keep on Dungeon Mastering. I'm one of your hosts, DM Neil, aka Jote Moniac, and today on this episode, we're going to be talking about games that don't have anyone running them. It could be amazing. It could be the way you take a break. It could be a way that you find out who should be the person running it in the first place. But today we have Michael from the RPG Academy back on to talk about this and how he approaches having a GMless or DMless game. And it is a wonderful conversation that DM Chris and I have. But rather than take any more of your time, let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? Looks like meat's back on the menu, boys. All right. Well, welcome to the meat uh, of the episode here at the Dungeon Masters Block. Today we have a oh too familiar. I don't know if it's too familiar or not familiar enough. I don't know. Uh, we have a familiar face with us, Michael appropriately Ross. Familiar. Appropriately familiar. Appropriately <laughs> familiar. Uh, not even a face because people can't see you, just a voice uh, just with a us voice. on the Dungeon Masters block today. Uh, Michael Ross is here with us from the RPG Academy, and it's always a pleasure to, to have you have you on here. You have so many accolades that we could tack on to the end of that because you've been around this industry for a while and have had numbers of shows that have started, ended, continued on the entire time, and uh, you're kind of a legend in the industry, so we're glad to have you on the podcast with us. Well, I'm... Excited to be here as always. I, I have the the great fortune of having Neil over on my Smallville podcast regularly. So he and I get to chat, you know, every four or five months or so about that. Uh, but you and I, unfortunately, has been a little bit further between. So just happy to be here, man. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Or maybe or maybe like once a year or so. I think we might be on that that sort of pattern. But yeah, it's good to good to have you here. Um, so Michael, one of the questions which you're probably familiar with at this point is are there any things that you are currently working on? And we always add the caveat that you can talk about because there are some things that you can't talk about. So for me, fortunately, I'm kind of everything's in house. So I kind of I have the freedom to talk about whatever I want, whenever I want to. Uh, and there's one thing in particular that I'm very excited to talk about. But I'm going to actually before we get to that, I'm going to give a super short plug for a brand new podcast that I'm starting It's actually my first professional Ooh. I guess in the, I got paid to do this. Um, I am part of an organization uh, called Healthy Minds Alliance. It is from the Health 360 organization, and it's a mental uh, well-being, mental health-focused organization. And they wanted a podcast, so I agreed. They, you know, basically I let them know, like, hey, I've been doing this for years as a hobby. Uh, so they basically paid me a little bit to create a podcast. It's going to be a weekly interview show with people who are serving uh, through the AmeriCorps volunteer program is part of Healthy Minds Alliance. Uh, I do that currently. I'm a, I'm a currently a member already. One of the things I do there is I teach youth mental health first aid, which is a course that's designed for adults or caregivers of youth. So like school teachers would be an obvious go-to coaches, really, but anyone who interacts with youth on a daily basis, how to look for signs of mental illness, mental challenges, distress, anxiety, depression, all the way up through you know uh, self-harm, and then how to intervene in the immediacy. So like first aid for someone who falls and bumps their knee, you know, you put ice on it, you call a doctor. This is the same sort of thing. If someone's like exhibiting behaviors, it makes you think they might be dealing with something. 
how do you intervene and then get them in contact with a professional? It's called Healthy Minds Alliance. Uh, the first episode is going to come out later in March as part of uh, Mental Health Awareness Week through Health360. Uh, so I just would love if people would check that out. It's going to be a very short format, very positive focused uh, mental wellness, mental well-being podcast. Oh, that's so. super cool. Thanks for doing that work, man. That's As somebody who also works with youth, that's huge. I greatly appreciate you doing that for people. It is very rewarding. I, yeah. I've, I have some lived experience with some of the things we, we teach, uh, and I've lost people in my life for some reason. So it, it definitely is something I'm emotionally invested in and in, in trying to spread the word. So I was ready and eager to do this when they brought it up. That's cool. That's awesome. All right. But the real reason I'm here today was one, because I love you guys. <laughs> uh, but two yes. is because I have finally created my own game after years and years of hacking other systems and basically making everything my own anyways. Uh, and it went on live on Kickstarter as of today that we're recording. That's February 28th. I don't know exactly when this will come out. It's going to run for 22 days. So it will end on March 22nd. And it is called Action 12 Cinema. It's a GMless zero prep game about telling over-the-top action movie style stories using handfuls of D12 dice. Everybody's favorite dice. Every, it should be. It's the best die. It's the was pinnacle that, of the polyhedron. Was that you? We were having the, the argument with D12. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was me. Yeah. I'm consistent yeah. about it. I yeah. do, I do love the D12. There you go. Yeah. And then uh, doesn't Tom hate them? He, wasn't he's the just contrary side? by nature. He he will argue any side of any argument if you give him the chance. It was like when people used to pick on each other in elementary school. It really meant that you liked them. So in his <laughs> picking on the D12, it really means he likes them. I, I, think, I think that's right. <laughs> I think one of my arguments, I can't even remember if this is a for or against, but one of my arguments was that the D12 is the best D4. Mm, it is, yes. When you Because re you replace the sides and then you just have, the ones I have are Roman numerals and they're great for the kids and, you know, magic missiles and all those things. Um, so yeah, the D12 also makes the best. And D4. the best D6. I, I have a whole say, set of double D6s. Yeah. Yep. So then the D20 is the best D10? I mean, that's how it originally started, whether you took your crayon yeah, and yeah. Uh, marked, <laughs> marked them off the right way. Anyways, we didn't yeah. come to talk about D12s. Oh, yeah, I did. But the only only Michael did, yes. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll get more into it because with the topic we have at hand. But for the surprise question, yes, I, had, I came up with something. So as a frequent guest, I feel like you have earned yourself a golden jacket. A golden. Uh, do we have oh, those? Which is, like which a five timers club? Those? Sure. I mean, the I, Dungeon Masters Masters. If we ever do a golf outing, <laughs> yeah. That. If you check under your chair right now, oh look at amazing. He's wearing it. No one can stop us. This is audio medium. Um, but yes. So with the golden jacket, do you? So that's a, this is an SNL reference. Basically, someone that's been on five times receives the golden jacket. Do you know who those people are? And if so, like, who's your favorite SNL guest that has a jacket? Oh, wow. Wow. Because uh, that happened recently. Uh, someone got one and then like all the others came on there. And I believe Steve Martin is one of the five timers. Yep. And I love Steve Martin. And I mean, from way like that, I still reference the jerk <laughs> in half the D&D games I play. There's a reference about the new phone books appearing and I don't need anything except this and this and this. But the that new show that he did with Martin Short. Only Mortars in the Building. Oh, yes. I love that show. So I'm sure there are others, but my, my vote is going to be for Steve Martin. Martin Short so had he, a crazy story encounter with Chance the Rapper the other day. Did you guys hear about hmm. this? He, so Chance, he like gave his seat up yeah, just for Chance some. And his, Chance and his daughter 
were on a flight and they weren't sitting together. And so Martin Short was on the same flight and gave up his seat either next to his daughter or next to Chance in order that they could sit next to each other. And then Chance the Rapper goes on Twitter and says, thank you, Jack Frost, for giving up your seat. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Perfect. So you actually chose the second spot, the the second um, highest returning guest. So Steve Martin is at 16. But we are we are going to segue into our topic at hand, and you had referenced it because you alluded to a GMless game with zero prep, and I feel like that is the episode before us. Um, so hey, we prepped Neil. One of the big we questions prepped. we yeah we talked about <laughs> it. I text you, but one of the big things that we ask now is like what has put that on your mind as a topic that you want to kind of introduce to people i mean obviously it's something that's on your mind enough to create a game without a gm right um, but like yeah so kind of what is what is your thought process about that discussion so and i've kind of worked myself backwards into this but uh we've talked about this for years on the rpg academy podcast like how do you get better at being a DM. And there's lots of things you can do. You can learn to prep better. You can learn to take notes better. You can learn to design encounters better. But one of the things we constantly talk about is how do you learn to improv? How do you learn to just take something someone says that you didn't plan for and roll it into the story, build off of it, and keep things moving without it just, you know, completely derailing the adventure? And it's really hard to teach someone to be better at improv outside of saying, take an improv class. Like, you know, there are classes that you can take to do that or just do it. Like you just have to like start doing more of it in your games and slowly you will get better at it. So in the process of like designing this game and, and playing other games and just being more and more around the GMless type of, you know, design, it, it hit me like that's what a GMless game is really. It's an improv machine. It's a DM training machine because where you don't have a GM, you don't have one person in control, it kind of leans towards more silly, which means you don't have to be so worried about introducing something that's going to be game breaking because you're not doing it in the middle of a campaign. Or ask somebody to pick up a really serious storyline that you just created. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, So you kind of have the freedom to go big if you want to without without worrying about destroying something that's going to, you know, 10 sessions later. And in in particular, my game, and I'm not saying my game is the only one that does it, but just I have a lot of experience with my game. Uh, the way our dice mechanics work, you can basically describe whatever you want to have happen, happen. But you get to determine when you roll the dice, and the dice determine if what you said happened actually helped or not. Basically, that's how the GMless works in my game. So if you think of it in this way, uh, so, it's, so let's say that we're doing a car chase. That, that could be one of the obstacles that happens in my game. It's a very classic movie action sort of situation. The, you know, you've probably seen this happen in a lot of different movies where someone, probably a cop, holds up their badge and gun and, like, flags down a car and then, like, gets in the car. They, like, you know, there's a word for that. I can't think of yeah. right now. A commandeer, a vehicle, right? Uh, if it's a buddy cop movie, maybe the other person stays in the car or even drives for them. I don't know. You do you. But then they're driving down through the city streets. They're weaving in and out of traffic. They might be running some red lights. Uh, they eventually get up on the highway and they start trying to ram this car off the road, and then it hits it at the water barrels at like an intersection. You know, there's this big water plume. You've probably seen that in a thousand different shows. So you can absolutely do that in my game. And you could wait till the very end and say, okay, I'm going to roll my dice now and see if this helped. But you've already narrated that the entire chase has basically happened. So you then are challenged with, well, what if I roll really poorly and it turns out the chase isn't over? 
how does that work? And you have to be able to think on your feet and go, okay, well, maybe I've got the wrong car. You know, maybe they switched cars somewhere and I didn't realize it. Maybe there's a decoy car uh, or maybe you ran them off the road, but then they've now jumped off the interchange and they're now on a, like a train that was going underneath like a trussle situation. Anyway, however you want to figure it out, you got to figure out how to make sense. But the real key to this is that you could choose to roll at any point along that story and that will determine different things. So like if you rolled right away, the first thing you rolled and you rolled really well, then maybe the person who stopped when you tried to commandeer a vehicle was like a muscle car. So you're now like a Ford GT, I don't know cars, uh, that's like really big and powerful. So it's going to be easier to catch up. That's why you, you're ahead in the chase mechanics. Or if you roll really poorly, maybe the only schmuck that would pull over was on a moped. You know, so now you're leaning <laughs> into the comedy of it. Or maybe you don't roll there, but you roll when you're weaving in and out of traffic. If you roll well, yeah, you weave in and out of traffic, you run red lights, everything's fine. If you roll poorly, maybe you get in an accident because you try to run a red light and now you have to switch cars. And that's why you're a little bit behind in the math. So if you think about this, like you have the ability in my game and in others to decide when you roll and when you roll gives you different sets of criteria for how you determine success and failure. It's, it's giving you all these opportunities to practice improv, basically. I just, I couldn't help get out of my mind. Either you're having a fast and furious scenario where the driving is amazing, or you're having like, what was it? The other guys with Will Ferrell and <laughs> oh, Mark yeah. Wahlberg, like oh, yeah. just distinct like dichotomy between the two of those. <laughs> and either would be a good touch point for action. 12 either, either would be a great reference and everybody would have fun. And obviously the rock and Samuel L. Jackson just rolled extremely low when they jumped off that <laughs> building. <laughs> yeah. You think of what I'm thinking? Aim for the bushes. That was Aim for one the, the bushes. One of the <laughs> biggest twists in a movie that I was so oh, man. prepared for. It took so long. It took yeah. so long for them to fall. Yeah. Oh, and it's so whether good. whether you can handle your gun or you're doing a desk pop off. You know, yeah. one, one yeah. of the two things is going to happen. Oh, you know? it's so good. Yeah. Well, and I, I, my first thought is, is almost immediately like, how would that apply um, to like your D&D campaign? Especially, I think it works really well, especially if you're thinking about a way to... Um, make exploration more interesting or exploration travel you know the, the three pillars blah blah blah. one is exploration oftentimes what do you do you you don't want to feel too heavy-handed of just like i mean it's hard because you're like okay roll and everyone's like well i hope i don't get a, a bad number because then yeah. something random is going to happen but if you already know what the the goals and the destinations are let's say i'm in town i know the dungeon is x miles away we all need to go there and then we start rolling. Is it eventful? Is it not eventful? Um, because mm -hmm. I feel like when you start to ask for percentage dies or certain things like that, it just tips your hand a little bit much. So if you have a, more of a system of success failure instead of something nothing, um, maybe that's where my problem is. But yes, I implementing okay. that. Because again, we know the destination. We know where the party wants to go. Right. It's just how harrowing is it for them to get there? Yeah, I think it doesn't it doesn't map on perfectly to a game like D&D, which is a traditional game with a GM that you know, is, that is presenting the game in a lot of aspects to this GM style. But I would think of it as so we know we want to get to the Cave of Wonders and we know we want there to be something that happens on the way, but we don't exactly know what we just think it'd be too boring to be like, OK, you're there. So then you maybe you roll and if you roll really well, you come up with something that's beneficial to them. They meet a helpful NPC. They find something on the road that tells them a secret about the Cave of Wonders or a secret entrance or a hint to a riddle they might encounter. If they roll really poorly, maybe it's an encounter or a fight that 
waste their resources, or maybe you just narrate that like they got lost, so it took them two extra days to get there. So it just kind of gives you an idea of like playing around with, I know something's going to happen, but I'm going to decide in the moment if it's good or bad or, or you know, difficult or easy or a combat or a role play situation, kind of testing yourself out to give yourself that ability to try that knowing that if it doesn't work perfectly, they're still going to get to the Cave of Wonders. That's really the adventure we're getting to anyways. But I'm going to test myself to see if I can come up in the moment, something good or bad based on some rules. Yeah, I was thinking too, even, I mean, in D&D, yes, there is the typical DM that runs the game, right? And I was I was thinking about this on my way home from work today of just thinking, how could you run? Because D&D, at its very basic understanding as most role-playing games are, are a set of rules to be able to run a game, right? There's mm -hmm. mechanics to make it work. And I was like, mm -hmm. I wonder what a game would look like if players all had things that they wanted to do. Like say somebody wants to go to a magic shop, to, like your wizard wants to go to a magic shop and it's the rest of the party's table to then say, okay, who wants to role-play that magic shop? You know, who mm -hmm. wants to come up with the name? Who wants to come up with the NPC on the spot? Because I think the thing that players often struggle with, um, especially I think when they're new, if they don't have a theater background, is how do we actually become comfortable role playing when we may get like one or two opportunities outside of battle a session to role play? And usually they're not very long. They're like, okay, you're camping at night. You're with another person in your party. What do you want to talk about? And usually it's like, I don't know. <laughs> like, how's your family? <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. What's going on with you? Oh, your family's dead? Great. Okay, well, I don't know where to go from there because I don't role play very often, you know? Mm -hmm. But giving your players the opportunity, even if you have a DM, to make it more DM-less, you know, maybe not fully DM-less, but to say, like, DMs have a lot on their plate. And even to say, like, okay, who wants to take role-playing that scenario, you know? Mm -hmm. Who wants to make up stuff and create a... Because then you're just having more buy-in and it's not exactly GM-less, but it's more GMless, if that makes sense, you know, um, to help that improv part of it. Yeah. I've experimented with that a little bit. I know other tables have done that as well. And usually that comes up when you do, like you were saying, you have a, a, a party split situation where you have one player that wants to do one thing and one player wants to do the other. And it would be boring for the other one to just sit there for half an hour while the wizard goes and shops at the wizard shop. And it'd be boring while the, you know, the other person goes to like the fighter guild and tries to get, uh, level up or advancement, whatever. So you get everyone at the table involved in both. So we're, we're, we're dealing with the wizard character, but everyone still gets to play. You're the shopkeeper. You're maybe you're the, the tread upon assistant. Maybe you're someone else who's a customer who's already in line and is frustrated that they're helping you instead of them or, you know, whatever the case may be, just everyone gets a role. Everyone gets to role play a little bit. You give them the freedom to be as, as involved or as not involved as they feel comfortable you know, set like a 20 minute time limit. I don't say set a timer, but you know, in your head, keep a clock of how long this is going to go. But that way, no one is just like waiting around. Everyone gets a chance to play all the time. Yeah. Because I imagine even, even in the system that like uh, you've created with uh, Action 12 Cinema, like there's probably got to be moments where players, so, I mean, you talked about like in travel, for example, where you go and you get this helpful piece of information, right? Like, What's to say that that doesn't that piece of information another player doesn't want to pick up on and make a whole separate quest out of, mm. you know, like, and then it's like, okay, how do we hand that off to other people to run that part of it? You know, like, what are what are we doing to chase that rabbit hole now? You know, like, it could just be really, really fun to give your players the creative license to think outside the box for some of those things, too. I think it just all helps. Like you said, like, 
instead of saying, hey, go to an improv class, right. you're actually getting to help them think like that at your table, which is kind of cool. And I've, you know, I've said this for, for years that playing other games has made me a better DM. So playing non-D&D games makes me a better DM for D&D games. Playing GMless games are going to help you be a better player or a DM in any game that you want to play. Uh, so I just, again, I just encourage people to try GMless games just for any reason. They're fun. I think so anyways. They're they're different. Then they're, again, there's sort of like a, a, not really a guilt-free, but a risk-free opportunity to just go big and really just ham it up and role play as silly as you want to be and then learn things and then apply them back to your home game. Another format that I think of and not having much experience myself, but I think about how applicable it would be to like a West March style game. Because in, the, in those scenarios, you already have a group of players coming to the table with an idea of what that group actually wants to accomplish in the first place. But what if there's no one to DM them at that time? Could they then sustain themselves by figuring out, okay, well, we all agreed what we want to accomplish. What's stopping us from figuring that out as we go? And you know, collectively deciding, because that's what it ultimately ends up being, is everyone's collectively deciding what's going to happen rather than one person kind of being that, that go-to point. Um, but yeah, I think a West March game would be really interesting where you have players, especially if it's non-combat scenarios or if it's, you know, certain aspects that they would be able to do a GMless game on their own and then basically report back to the collective West March group, oh, we, we accomplished X, Y, and Z. I mean, there's a lot of like solo games as well. And you could probably sort of mix and match a little bit, like, you know, take a solo games mechanics for like rolling for the difficulty, the types of encounters that you, you know, you, you encounter any sort of rewards that you get, but then still rather than just like journaling, which is very common in solo games, you actually role play them out with the other players. I, I think the the danger with that is if you have like a long-term sustained campaign and think D and D, uh, and then there's a DM who's like, okay, you know, at fifth level, I, I expect them to go do this and do that and, and the other. But you have this very free form process. They might get well too advanced in level or power before they get back to your thing because they're having all. It's like basically like when you play a video game and you do all the side quests before you go to the main quest. Oh, that haunts me. Don't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm playing through Spider Man right now in anticipation of the Spider Man Two coming out later this year. So yeah, I'm side questing everything. Yeah, I've brought this up several times, so long term listeners will know this story all too well. But as a person who um, I played Oblivion, I watched a buddy play and he did the main quest. And so then when I picked it up, I was like, oh, I'm not that interested. These side quests seem more more fun. So I fast travel into the arena. I kill the guy at the end because he asks you to. And then I was approached by the guy who's in charge of the Thieves Guild, but he's invisible. I didn't know who he was. I killed him, too. I basically became a an NPC in the game because now I can't buy thieves tools or interact with that quest in any way, shape, or form because they killed the NPC. I proceeded to go do every other quest imaginable, and when I went back to the main quest, it had outleveled me and I died. So I was like, "Well, oh no, I have literally no idea what the main quest for Oblivion is. I know yeah. all the side quests." So. I was like in Skyrim, like if you didn't go to Westrun right away or whatever the first town was, like dragons just never appeared in the yep. world, <laughs> like. The first one would, but then you would never see another dragon. And that was what I did the first time through the game was I never went there, never talked to the the king there. And I just did a bunch of side quests with never experiencing a dragon. It was weird. <laughs> Very weird. <laughs> oh, so good. And, and those are the kind of like, you know, we bring that up. But, but like 
I think it fits because those are the kind of things that you could probably do, especially if you're trying to adapt a GMless scenario to your D&D campaign. You have to do things that basically they do something and everyone has fun, but it's not this really plot main story heavy kind of situation because mm-hmm. if it is that longer running campaign there are those threads and those pieces that that you know your dm would want to keep going forward but it is really interesting to get a table set up so that you know let's let's say i can't make it but to the session something comes up but everyone else is still available you know our go-to our go-to for my table is that we play board games if mm-hmm. too few people are there but with this scenario there's nothing to say oh because you could also go backwards to go forwards. You know, you have a flashback scenario to say that, like, uh, when we were in the town last time, this is what these are the antics that we got up to. Because you know where you have to be because you're already there and you know where you came from. So you're just writing like a little side story um, with without your GM or DM at the table. Well, and is and is that the way, like, if they missed something that could have been potentially important, that then they're gaining some of that knowledge that maybe, mm. like... Like rolling when you're on your way to the temple or the cave of wonders, whatever we were calling it earlier. Yeah. You get the helpful piece of information. Maybe it was back in this other town, this bartender mentioned something back in the day that could lead to that piece of information mm-hmm. if you have too people too few people coming to the table. I think it could be a really fun experiment if you're nervous about running a GMless game. It could be a really fun way to experiment with what that could look like at your table with not having massive ramifications because clearly right. you're not going to kill the players because they're still going on in the future or are we creating multiverse of madness That's stuff exactly, by yeah. going back <laughs> yep. it's a really bad dream you both woke up and it was a exactly. really bad dream you know yep. it didn't, didn't happen <laughs> yeah um but i did i think that's interesting from the concept of, as a dm intentionally leaving holes in your story to be filled later by these sort of like outside retro retcon sort of situations. So like saying like, yeah, you spent a night at the bar. We're not really going to deal with it, but you were there last night. And then that gives you a whole night to play around with in the future if you wanted to do those sorts of things. Well, I think it so gets, I don't know if I would yeah. like that or not, but I, just, I think it's an interesting concept to think about intentionally leaving holes like that. Yeah, I was reading because you know, I had never heard of the West Marches style before game and I was just reading about it and I was like in a way if you were doing that with your players like hey not everybody can make it tonight you're in a sense kind of given the opportunity to do an inter-party West Marches style where it's like okay for those of you that can get tonight go back through your notes are there any things that you would have wanted to explore back in the past when we were in such and such a town or whatever it was that maybe this is the opportunity because then your players are coming back to the table with new information and getting really excited. And then it could possibly create more excitement for those off nights for people too. Um, could be really fun, especially and give you the opportunity to explore it as a GMless style night. Cause you may have forgotten about it at that point and they weren't going to go back to it. So <laughs> well, I also think of like, it, it makes for what it, it makes for a more, logical explanation for one of the most hand wavy scenarios that you find yourself as a dm we're deep deep within the cave of wonders we haven't seen the light of day for a week and the wizard just disappears for a while but don't worry he magically reappears later on because i don't know i didn't really want to deal with you know this person's character without them that feels weird but also like that i want to counterbalance the fact that there's not another character here 
none of that none of that applies when we're retconning back to go into the town and basically say okay the three of us went and did something and the fourth and fifth person are asleep or they're taking extra time at dinner or they're doing all these other things and leave you know just kind of leaving that back behind because i do feel like it is one of the most hand wavy things i have ever done as a dm is just just kind of say they're not here but they'll be here if they show up to the next session we all just accept and that's how i handle that like it's not the most satisfying from a narrative standpoint but you know we've we've talked on our show uh a bit about like one of the worst campaigns i ever played in when i first met jared and brad and we kind of came friends through that well, I'll say a bad experience. Um, shared that's one trauma of the, is what that's called. Yeah, shared trauma. But one of the things that that DM did is they did come up with a narrative reason every single time a certain player wouldn't be there. And it became frustrating for those of us who were there most of the time that so much of the table time was spent with a character that wasn't there. It's like It's almost like they were being rewarded for being missing because they became more important than those of us who were actually there. So I so I'm I'm a big prone of like they're there. Just hand wave it away. They're they're like they're kind of misty. Like they're there. If you need to talk to them, they have items you can borrow them, but they're not going to die unless everyone dies. They're not going to get ex- I, I do milestones, but like they're not going to get any loot type of a thing. But when they show up next week, they're just going to be there because it's just easier than trying to figure out why they were summoned to the court of the wizard council you know, against their will. And they did this, had this whole side quest for a week. And then like their, their adventure was more interesting than ours. And they weren't even like, I just, there's probably a good way to do it. I'm not saying you couldn't, but my, my experience is just easier. And in my opinion, better to just be like, they're there, but just hand wavy it. I'm, I'm fine with that. Cause yeah, the only other thing I can think of is <laughs> I thought of like DMPC, but then calling it a PPC uh, because then it's a player's PC, but basically like you put them on autopilot have static damage rolls, have, or just constantly give the help action on their turn, um, things like that. But the other one that, the other thing that came up was the um, flashbacks mechanic that happens in games. Um, most notably, in my mind, is a, like a Blades in the Dark game where you have the flashbacks. This could be perfect for that to say that, let's say they come to, you know, uh, I like that we're using the Cape of Wonders. Also, I'm terrified that there are a Wand of Wonders in here, which I accidentally gave my players that recently just because I think it's really funny. I'm sure I'm destined to regret it soon enough. But if we're in the Cave of Wonders and we come across this ornate door that has all these complex runes and everything like that, you could then have that session that is without, you know, GMless where they figure out, oh, I remember that from that one time. We went this went to this one place, and then you have that flashback session to get that information, so that they're more prepared for what's in front of them. Which is great because you know you never you have no idea how well that puzzle will go. Yeah, I actually think that's a really that's a really interesting idea because we've talked about puzzles a lot on our show as well. Is that usually they end one of two ways: someone immediately knows the answer. Or no one will ever figure it out. No longer how, how long we stand here. Correct. So <laughs> it, it's like this frustration, but that could be a way that like, if they don't just get it, like, you know, maybe you expect them to get it, but they don't rather than saying, okay, roll Arcana. Okay. You know, the answer do the, okay, well, we're going to do a flashback. We're going to, you're going to, you rolled Arcana, you passed, but we're going to tell the story of how you learned that. We're only just like a 15 minute improv. You're this wizard, you're that wizard and make it like a fun, silly role play moment to figure out what essentially was a skill check. So you're getting to interject role play 
instead of just accepting that D20 plus 10 roll and it being 19, so you pass. I think I think you've also hit on one of the other really important pieces of this. Um, because a lot of people, oh man, I hate this. Sometimes it just, it's like you have these revelations sometimes where you're just like, why was I not doing things this way the whole time? <laughs> or why did I not codify it with, you know, with, with better language like we're going to do now? Where a lot of DMs talk about like one of their most memorable moments is when they're not doing anything mm-hmm. when they're watching their play when essentially they're sitting at a gmless table and just watching it play out before them all of this conversation starts to lend itself towards having those moments at the table maybe it's not an entire session maybe it's 15 to 30 minutes where you've basically given them the tools to then have what is a gmless mini session where you know you're the five wizards with the party wizard and all of you are going to discuss this elaborate scenario, you all can see where you need to go. How did you get there? And then then you just watch and hope. Yeah. It's like a little, you know, uh, community theater just for you. Yeah. Perfect. That's that's the goal. Now we figured <laughs> it out. That's the ultimate goal. Yeah. Now, I do really like that idea of taking a puzzle that's not going well and turning it into a really fun role play session. Like, you know what, that we we thought we were going to do this hard left, but now we're into role play territory, which is my favorite place to be in town. We're going to do 10, 15 minutes of just zany role play because it doesn't really matter as long as at the end of it, you you know that the answer is 27. You know it's 27 because you rolled really well and I told you the answer is 27, but let's role play how, we, how you knew that. And then it could be the barbarian next time. It could be the ranger next time. Like, how do you know these are owlbear, tra- owlbear tracks? Well, let me tell you about the first time I met an owlbear. And then, you know, we're do-do-do-do-do-do-do. We're doing flashbacks. And then we have a little 15-minute scene with everybody being a ranger. Maybe one person's the owlbear. You know, quack, quack, who? You know, that could be fun. That sounds like a terrible drunken story that you would hear at a bar. Let me tell you about the time well, I met an owlbear. <laughs> it's called the cocaine owlbear. And... <laughs> That is a that is a cinematic masterpiece. I yep. have seen it, and I, caution, listeners: Cocaine Bear is an R-rated film. To be for sure, a reason, yeah, mainly for um, violence and gore. Um, but if if you're okay with those things, I suggest you watch the film. It it subverted my expectations in wonderful ways, and all I could think at the end was, you know what. This was someone's job. They went into work days <laughs> or weeks on end and made this CG bear, CGI bear look better than it should. Absolutely better than it should. So, yes. Oh, gosh. Cocaine owl bear. I saw, not- I saw a meme the other day that was like this sad Coca-Cola polar bear back in the day that said the <laughs> other Coke bear got a movie. <laughs> nice. Perfect. It's wild. Well, I don't, I don't know where we go from there, but. I really don't. I Well, I'll just do a quick plug for Catacon, my convention, which you both have helped me uh, mention that before. Conventions are a great place to try out games like this because you're not already taken away from your established setting. Uh, you know, you're going to have two or three days or maybe it's just a one day pass. Go play things you don't normally play, whether it's GMless or not, but look for that as an opportunity. It's like a very low risk, you know, chance someone's going to teach you the game. 
if you don't have to buy it, you don't have to try to teach it to your other friends. And again, if it's great, fantastic. You've learned things that you can apply to your D&D or your other traditional games. And if it was terrible, it's two or three hours out of your life. You probably find some way to still have fun, even if the game itself isn't. So I'm a big proponent of going to conventions and playing things that you don't normally play. Yeah. The, the big one for me is like that really stretched me as a D, you know, DMGM was uh, masks because you don't roll. Like as the person running the game, you don't roll. You just call for rolls based on what's happening. And then you move forward in whatever direction based on the roles of the players. But like, essentially, I don't I don't need dice as the person running it, which is it is the most difficult concept I have ever walked through in a game because it was just a stumbling block constantly to say, OK, I don't need to roll. I don't need to roll. But the big learning thing there is. Okay, but then that's putting my brain in a space to say, okay, but then what do you need to do as a player? What do you, what can I provide? What additional information can I provide you as a player? I'm not just a mat. I'm not just a calculator. And, it, you know, to say that sometimes I feel that way in combat, like I, I get to calculation mode because so many things are going on. But with masks, I'm never that way because I'm only asking, okay, well, then what did you want to do? Okay, go ahead and roll this. Okay, well, you succeeded or failed or partial success. Then this happens. Okay, next player, what do you want to do? Then you roll these dice. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, it's, you know, that starts to lean towards GMless because that person, again, they don't even need dice. Yeah, I, I still get a little bit weirded out at GM not having dice. Like, I know it works. I've played it. I've ran it. But there's still a part of me that, like, wants to roll dice. I just I like rolling oh, dice yeah. as the DM. Um, and I have run into a few games. I won't mention names that are supposed to be DMs don't roll dice. But there were a couple things that came up where it's like, well, I kind of need to here. Like, I like the, I don't know that the mechanics are perfectly fleshed out for that. Um, but I do agree it's a good stretch and learn learning experience for the DM to figure out how do I you know, not manipulate, that's the wrong word, but how do I influence things and drive things in certain times, certain ways uh, without having the dice there to kind of help me do it. So yeah, I definitely would encourage people to play or run diceless, or not diceless, but GM diceless games as well. It's just, again, I'm a big pro of playing anything that you've not played before. I think you're going to learn something from it, even if it's what not to do. Because sometimes that's some of our best teachers or things that were like, that was terrible. I don't want to do any of that. I don't again. like that mechanic. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like that. that. Yeah. So then you know not to try that in your D&D game or other traditional game. Which kind of leads us into, because I, I realize how, how long we're, we're going, um, which doesn't feel like it at all, which speaks to why you, sir, have the golden jacket. But one of the things is certainly homework. Do we have things that we could tell people to check out, to watch, to read, to listen to there it is use your senses i don't think there's anything you could taste but i don't know i mean some people have that like senso schizophrenia thing where they like smell flavor flavors and oh yeah colors yeah perfect so people might taste things there i don't know i don't um, know if i would want that forever but i would be curious hmm. as far as like what that would be like i think if you take mushrooms or mescaline <laughs> or mescal, you try it out yeah, I'll find out. Uh, again, well, for me specifically, again, my game is all about bad action movies. So watching a lot of action movies, good and bad, is just a lot of fun. Um, I know the a friend of mine, Devin, had a podcast for years called Sharkbone. Uh, they actually changed formats a couple of different times. But if you go back and listen to the original Sharkbone episodes, which I think are still available, that was their format is they would, the three hosts would all watch a movie and then they would take like an hour and break down elements of that movie. How would we turn that into 
mechanics. How would we take that scene or that encounter or that NPC or that monster? And they would talk about ways to do that. And I thought it was brilliant. Uh, format because as someone who also likes movies, I just thought that was a really good format and a way to like think about mechanics and how you could apply them. So I would say go listen to old Sharkborn episodes. Yeah, one of the things I had thought of was just actually going to like I know um, if you're around a like a major city or even a somewhat major city like Grand Rapids, for example, uh, where where I am, like you can find improv crews that actually like or troops that do improv and just like learning from them because they do they. They might have a prompt that they run with, but then where that goes is anybody's guess. And you can learn a lot just from watching people without actually signing up or paying for a class. But just like picking up on little things of how they interact with each other and what they might do. like to just And, and even to think for yourself in those spaces, because this is often what I do when I go to an improv thing, is like, what would I do in response to oh, that? Yeah. You know, like, would I have done the same thing? And that's the brilliance of, I think, some GMless stuff is like, that might not be what I did, but that's great. Like, yeah, let's go. Let's go with that. So I think just checking out an improv troupe would be would be a really fun way. Um, And just put yourself in that mindset. Like, if I was the next person up that had to say something, what would I do or what would I have said or how would I have acted in that moment? I think that could be really, really fun and helpful. And there's plenty of them around that you can go to good, bad or otherwise. And again, and also just there's ways to watch it online, TV shows, you know, again, I know a lot of people don't like listening or watching actual plays. They just don't understand it. And I can get that. But if you're trying to learn things, you could, you could watch it or listen to it from that side. Like I'm not listening to this for entertainment. I'm listening to see how the DM manages this or how the players interacted with that. I will say quickly, just because I see this a lot online that I feel like is misinterpreted the whole yes and thing from improv. I'm a big believer in yes and, I'm a yes and DM, but that doesn't mean I don't tell my players no. I tell my players no a lot, but usually I tell them before we actually start playing, like, you know, this is a world that doesn't have wizards. Can I play a wizard? No, because it's a world without wizards. Like, this is a world where all the dwarves are gone. They mysteriously vanished. Can I be the only dwarf? No, because they're all gone. But once we start playing, if they're like, hey, I want to jump on the chandelier and swing across the room, I'm not going to go, there's not a chandelier in here. Unless there's a really, really, really good reason why there's not. Like, they're in the middle of the Cave of Wonders, but I don't know, maybe there is a chandelier in the Cave of Wonders. Look at that wonderful uh, chandelier! Yeah, maybe like, that leads wonderful. to the question yes. of, like, why is there a chandelier in here? Exactly. Was this a bad guy's exactly. hangout at one point? You know? Yeah, what's going on? So that's what the yes and is just trying to let the players kind of take a little bit of narrative control and just say yes, you know, because does it really matter if there's a rock nearby? Like, I just, I, again, I let my players, I want them to say, I grab a nearby rock and I throw it to try to make a distraction and not go, is there a rock nearby? I don't know. Let's roll a D20. Unless there's a reason there shouldn't be a rock around here, then there's going to be a rock lane nearby. Like, those are those are the sort of yes and that we talk about when we talk about DMing. It's not uh, my character wants to be a Pegasus who has a plus five Vorpal tail at level one. You can say no to that. Because that's not in the spirit of the game. But yes, Andy is more like in the moment, in the scene, trying to keep the narrative momentum uh, and not saying no on their ideas unless there's a really good reason. But it doesn't become an instant I win button for the players uh, if the GM is like a yes and GM. That's a little bit off topic, but I I recently got into like a discussion online about that. So kind of passionate. That's a really good (laughs) and a really good framing of that scenario is that you're live on stage. And there is an entire audience in front of you. And one of the reasons you're doing yes and is because you're in a performative mode and saying no and talking about it live on stage 
is not ideal for the entertainment of those that are in front of you that often paid to be in those seats. Mm-hmm. So like that that's one of the reasons it's there. But I also think about the scenarios where it's like a like a murder mystery theater and the person who has committed the murder if you can find this is the one that I would try and find if you can really find one is where the person who committed the murder will change based on audience response. Mm. And if you can go to more than one of those shows, you will walk away with a mountain of knowledge just because you're going to watch the same people go through the air quote, same scenario and come out with a different result. And I think those are the ones where like, as a, as a DM, like I've learned the most from, because I can, you can kind of start to see what those changes are and how they're playing off of the rest of the people in the theater to make their decisions. Cause that's kind of what we do as the person running the game. You're kind of playing off of what you're getting in response from your players and then going from there. The the other piece to read is A Dicey Adventure, which is part of the educational materials directly from D&D. That basically, it's, the, it's almost like a session zero where you don't know which of the kids that are in your group want to be the DM. So it just presents a scenario. You roll, and based on your roll, this happens. So it's already set up. It's almost like a choose-your-own-adventure with dice rolling, which is how the entire... My Little Pony, Tales of Equestria is set up because I've run that for my kids. And it's literally just you go to the page and either you roll and it tells you what page you go to. And then inevitably they're like, oh, no, I didn't I didn't turn the page. It doesn't count. And I'm just like, no, 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 no. That's not how it is. So one thing I would say as well, if you have someone who's a little bit hesitant, uh, maybe it's like it's a player either in wanting to do that. Because I know some players don't want narrative control. They don't want to play in a type of game like that. that. That's not the verisimilitude that they're in for. And you have some GMs who are uncomfortable giving that player narrative control because they're afraid that the players are going to say something and they just don't know how to respond to it. A lot of us do a version of this. Usually it's around combat where we're, we're playing a regular game and, you know, Neil, you roll enough and you're going to kill the orc. And I'm like, okay, Neil, what does it look like when you kill the orc? Like that's a little bit of that sort of GM power because you can describe how it looks to kill that orc however you want. Even if like mechanically you swing your longsword, you did eight damage and it died, you could change it to be like, well, actually I missed, but he dodged out of the way and then his feet got tangled up in the rope and he fell off the bridge and that's how he died. That's as long as the ogre still, or the orc, whatever, is still dead at the end of the narration, it doesn't matter how you describe it. And that's like, oh, it's like I say it's like putting a box on it. Like you, you put a little box around how much narrative control the players have, but if they enjoy it, and a lot of them will, and they get more comfortable with it, then you can start to expand it and be like, okay, what's the name of the next town over? Or what's some rumor you've heard about the mayor in this town? Or what's the name of the bartender? Like you can just start adding more of those in. So it's not truly GMless, but you're sharing that narrative control almost like a GMless game. All right. Our most important question, where can people go to see all of the things that you're doing on the old interwebs? So the easiest place to find me is still at the RPG Academy on Twitter. I have people in my life that I care about more than anyone else other than immediate family that I only know because of Twitter. So I am clinging to Twitter as <laughs> hard as I can. And it's it seems to be on a path, a downward spiral. But I, I love so many people because of Twitter. I'm trying to hold on to it. So I'm still there. The RPG Academy feed, we do lots of different podcasts, various show types, interviews, actual plays, game theory discussions. So if you anything I said today connected with you at any level, there's probably a show that I do that you might be interested in. We have one about crowdfunding campaigns, 
there's there's too many actually there really is too many <laughs> uh, i do a show about smallville called farm to fable which neil has yeah. been a guest on multiple times and, and then again the big thing right now is my action 12 cinema kickstarter it's currently as we are speaking it just hit it's not quite at 50 percent, but we're almost at 50 percent day one nice. so i'm up for like five hours so that's great it sounds like we're doing well. We're we're on board to to be successful, but you know, I'd like to fund, but also like to go above that. You know, we got some stretch goals in mind, stuff like that. So that would be a big thing for me, uh, is if people could go check that out and support it. But yeah, thanks for coming on. And I can't believe that we picked the perfect size for your gold jacket that you're currently wearing, <laughs> and no one can debate that. So there we go. That you found yeah. under your chair. We shipped it, yep. and you know. Had somebody put it there. It's great. I broke yeah. in to your home. <laughs> Neil Placed flew all the way across the country. Whew. Yep. Worth it. Worth it definitely. It. Definitely was worth it. And we will definitely have you back on. I can say that without a shadow of a doubt. We just want to thank Michael again for coming on and spending some time with us, telling about his own game that he's made and other games and ways to approach having no DM or GM at the table. And if you want to tell us about a game that you've played without having a DM or GM and how that went, the ups, the downs, the lefts, the rights, A, B, start, select. There you go. Then you can always email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And of course, if you see fit, head to your podcatcher of choice, be it iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. I have Overcast. Do you listen directly on Podbean wherever you listen? And leave us a rating and review. And of course, you can always follow us on social media and look for the Dungeon Masters block on Twitter. We're at DMS underscore block. That's at DMs block. And you can, of course, find us on Facebook and Instagram as well. As always, the Dungeon Masters block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network, where you can check out other shows like Detentions and Dragons, Dungeons and Dragons and Daughters, and more. And as always, we just want to thank you for listening to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of everyone else at the table. I'm DM Neil. Good night and good luck. It's not inspiration, it's not wisdom, and it's bad advice. Easiest way to have a GM-less game is not show up. Goodbye.